Hello, hello, welcome everybody. Nicola has just closed the door and given me a look, uh, which I'm familiar with from the office. So welcome everybody. Thanks so much for coming in on this beautiful day. Uh, my name's Elizabeth Foy. I'm the head of adult learning here, so it's my joy and my privilege to organise these events. Uh, and obviously none more than others, so it would be wrong to say I have favourites. But, <laughs> because that would just be wrong. Um, so, welcome to Brian Draper, who's our speaker today. Uh, when he starts to talk, you might, you might be familiar with his voice uh, from Thought for the Day. So, don't worry, not time to get your jammies off and, you know, go to, go to work. <laughs> it's not that, don't, don't jump. Um, and some of you will know him because we did the most beautiful spring walks. Um, through the park and to the cathedral uh, in May with him. And I can see one or two faces here who've probably come back because they were so beautiful and it was so wonderful. So I'm sorry to those who miss it. We were just having a conversation about maybe doing some autumn walks. So uh, have a look out for that because that might be next autumn. Um, he's, uh, he's an author. He's written wonderful books uh, called Spiritual Intelligence and What Matters Most. But there's a, And I've just realised I've left mine and I'm just going to get it. Um, this is going to be terrific on camera. Uh, and, ta-da! Uh, um, this, this is his new book. Uh, it's called Soulfulness, Deepening the Mindful Life. So it's about any, any of you who've tried so, uh, mindfulness, and as I have, and thought, oh, well, this is nice, and yet a bit kind of, you know, and, and. This is, <laughs> this is the book for you. I have to say, I, uh, I valued it enormously myself. Um, it has made a great deal of difference to my life. Like many of us in the city, I live a slightly frazzled life, and there's a sort of addictive quality to that for me, and actually the simplicity of his practices and the depth of his wisdom has been enormously beneficial to me. So I commend this to you extremely highly. There'll be a little bookstall at the end of his talk at 2 o'clock um, at a particularly handsome discount, which I've negotiated with the shop, so I recommend, uh, I recommend it to you very highly. Um, I'm not going to say any more. I'm going to hand over to Brian. He'll talk for about 40, 45 minutes, and then we'll have some time to questions. Thank you. Thanks for coming, Brian. There must be more to life than this, mustn't there? I mean, I don't, don't mean this. This is, this is um, absolutely delightful, and it's so kind of you to invite me here, but... And to be here in this wonderful setting, great privilege. But there must surely be more to our work life, our home life, even, dare I say it, our Christian life and our church life than this. And deep down, I'm sure we all sense it. For even as uh, we busy ourselves skimming the surface of our relationships, of our culture of our faith, busying ourselves, getting ahead, or staying afloat. Mercifully, still, something calls to us from deeper below the surface, doesn't it? It's not always easy to say what it is. As the poet Mary Oliver puts it, something whispered something which kind of sums it up, really. The author, Cynthia Bourgeau, writes of our nostalgia for the infinite. I love that phrase, our nostalgia for the infinite. And the Bible, of course, reminds us in Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity in the hearts of all people. Something calls to us from deeper. Perhaps we sense it when we catch the sun rising on a beautiful autumnal morning, mists swirling around trees and leaves glinting gold in the sunlight. Or when we catch a child giggling infectiously. Or even when we stand at a graveside. In those moments, we recall glimpses of the more to life that we sense there must be. The more of who we are, for instance, created to be the image bearers of God, no less. I love how the poet Wordsworth puts it in Intimations of Immortality. At our birth, he says, we arrive not in entire forgetfulness and not in utter nakedness, 
but trailing clouds of glory do we come from God who is our home. We spend so much of our life then forgetting that, don't we? But occasionally, thankfully, sometimes we have our memories jogged. Recently, I was out running. The sun was out, although there was an ominous big black cloud. And as I ran uh, down into a nature reserve, it started raining, and then the sun came back out. I turned a corner and beheld this most incredible double rainbow just arching up over the water meadows in Winchester. And I was stopped dead in my tracks, or possibly alive in my tracks. And for a few blissful moments, it reminded me that there is more to life than my failures and successes, what I wear, what I own. It lifted me up out of my own petty grievances with the world, gave me a taste of the divine, a divine sense of reconnection, if you like. But I suppose the question is, how do we stay alert and connected and alive to that sense of the more when the rainbow inevitably fades from view before our eyes and we rush on back to our busyness as usual? That's, for me, the question that nags, perhaps, more than any in our culture. Personally, I've gained some really helpful insight from mindfulness and from the mindfulness movement, which overlaps and resonates with much of what we would call uh, contemplative Christian spirituality, and which helps me to realise more of the hidden treasures of my own faith, in fact. I think it's okay to say that. So I'd like to start with a few words of appreciation on that as a springboard into what I'm going to call soulfulness. Mindfulness uses simple, sustainable practices such as paying attention to our breathing, to stepping into stillness, and even kind of working on the principle of just learning again to do one thing at a time. Remember that? It's a good, good, good thing to try and do. Um, in order to help us to be more alert and alive to, to this present moment, instead of constantly reliving things that have happened or pre-living things that are about to happen, helping us to become more present to all the, the possibilities and to the potential and to the more of, of this moment as well as, of course, helping us to cope with stress. If you, if you want a definition, then you might just think of its opposite for a moment and ask what you have done mindlessly in the last few days. Can you remember your journey getting here today? Uh, I don't know if any of you, have, probably most of you, have seen about the story of the virtuoso violin player Joshua Bell, who who went busking in a, in a Washington subway, and it was, it was filmed by, I think, the Washington Post, and um, all set up, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people walked past as he was playing one of the world's most expensive violins and one of the world's most beautiful pieces of music, and, 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 and just a handful of people across the space of an hour or two stopped. And they said that one, they noticed one thing in particular, and that was that almost every child that walked past tried to stop and were hurried on by their, uh, by their parents or, or guardians. So do you remember getting here today? We tend to proceed on autopilot so much of the time, don't we? How did you drink your last cup of coffee? Or eat your last meal? What were the flavours and textures of the food like? How did you listen when a, a friend was sharing something really important or special with you? Did you listen without agenda, or did it just remind you of something that you wanted to tell them back? Sometimes I used to catch myself responding to a text when I was reading the kids a bedtime story. We are all culpable, I'm sure. John Kabat-Zinn, the uh, professor of medicine who helped to found the mindfulness-based stress reduction program, which many of you will have heard of, 
describes mindfulness. I love the clarity that some of these people in mindfulness speak of in terms of profound things. We can learn as Christians from them sometimes. He speaks of mindfulness as wakefulness with open-hearted presence. Wakefulness with open-hearted presence. And I really love that. I wonder how many people you know who are wakeful with open-hearted presence. They're, they're often few and far between, aren't they? But they're wonderful to know when you, when you come across them. I, I, I like to imagine Jesus um, as having been very wakeful and having a deeply open-hearted presence, awake to who and what is before him, as well as being awake to the presence of God within every moment. Meditation is uh, one specific way of becoming more wakeful with open-hearted presence. I know that word is a bit of a bit of a, a, a buzzword sometimes, and sometimes it puts us off, doesn't it? But the, um, the mindfulness expert from the Oxford Mindfulness Centre and, and the Anglican clergyman, um, Mark Williams, refers to meditation very helpfully and undramatically as calmly abiding in the present moment. Calmly abiding in the present moment. And that's something that we can all try, isn't it? We don't necessarily need to sit cross-legged for half an hour on a meditation mat, although that might be useful. You could just make yourself a cup of tea and step outside and give yourself permission to be for a few minutes instead of forever doing, doing, doing. And if you need some kind of spiritual permission slip, you might just go to, to the Psalms, to the psalmist who says, be still and know that I am God. We are often, as Christian believers, stuck on the fast forward uh, as well, aren't we? And if you really need something to do, if you really must do something while you're standing outside for five minutes, try watching the clouds. Seriously, try watching the clouds. Um, the founder of the Cloud Appreciation Society, a guy called Gavin Pretor Pinney, he's done a fantastic TED Talk on, on appreciating clouds. He says that one of the most important things about watching clouds is that it gives you permission to do nothing else but watch clouds. And we so rarely ever give ourselves permission to do anything like that. Step outside and be, be still. What I love us to do, just before we continue, is to have a moment's stillness. If that's okay? We're not gonna do anything weird or, or, or spooky, and if you feel at all uncomfortable, just sit quietly while the rest of us sit quietly and no one will know the difference. You may like to close your eyes. I'm going to close my eyes for a moment. Otherwise, do, do stare into space or at a fixed object, or Elizabeth, if you like. And, um, and, and just, just, just what I'd love you to do, just for a moment, is to relax your body. You might, for a moment, notice if you have any stresses or areas of tension in your body that you hadn't realised were there. It's quite easy for us to spend half the morning with our jaws clenched or with our shoulders tight in the brace position, ready for what's going to go wrong. But actually today, what we're going after is really good things. Going after presence, aliveness, presence of God. So notice if you have any areas of tension or stress in your body and just simply try and relax your, your whole body. And it really helps, without sounding too cheesy, to smile as well, remembering that we are going after good things. It really helps you to relax. And what I'd love you to do is just to slow your breathing down a little bit and deepen it just a little bit. We tend, when we're racing breathlessly from place to place and task to task, to take far too many physically shallow breaths. 
If you're a runner or a swimmer or a cyclist or you love to dance or sing, you'll know how crucial it is to breathe. Breathe deeply through the strides and the strokes because it gives you physical energy. But of course it gives us more than that too, doesn't it? It gives us that emotional sense of calmness, taking the deeper, deeper breath. A sense of mental clarity. And if you are like me and most of us probably in this room and you struggle to quieten your ever-chattering mind down when you go into a period of stillness, one very, very simple way to help is just to bring all of your attention and your awareness to your breathing. It gives the mind something to do and allows you to be a little more fully present here. We remember, of course, that we are God-breathed and that God is closer to us than our breath. So, what I'd love you to do is just to bring all of your attention and your focus onto your breathing, just for a few moments, and watch that in-breath coming all the way in, right to its, right to its end, and then the out-breath going all the way out. And just for 30 seconds now, let's Relax, breathe, and bring all of our attention to our breathing, and then we'll continue. Just before you open your eyes again, I'd love you to notice how you feel, what you experience, I'm not trying to manipulate anything, but just notice how, how you are. And you may like to ask yourself, after even a pause as short as that, what difference could that pause make? If I were now to go and have a, um, a, a meeting with somebody or work on something creative or or have a difficult conversation with somebody that I need to have on the phone for work, or whatever it is, what difference would it make to the quality of energy and attention you bring to what you're about to do? And what difference would it make to the people who are about to encounter you? And what's stopping you from every now and again taking a very short pause like that? Okay. Lovely to sit in stillness together, actually, isn't it? As a, as a group, really lovely. I hope that you... Um, could appreciate that. Um, a couple of other ideas. You could just try a very slow walk or a slightly slower walk than usual, a, a walk of awareness down a familiar um, path or, or road or pavement. Um, where I live in Winchester, when I'm working with people one-to-one, -one, I, I often um, invite them to do a, a really nice slow walk, slower than normal walking pace. And it's so embarrassing to begin with especially if they're local. And, uh, it's a really good way of noticing um, the, the chattering of your mind, which really pipes up when you're walking slowly down Winchester High Street. And your mind, your insecure, anxious, chattering, ego-driven mind is saying, who am I going to bump into? What do people think of me? I look like a complete idiot. When's he going to let me stop this? But actually, if you, if you carry on just for about long enough, you can just 
settle that down and keep going. You begin to notice things, details on the pavement you may have never noticed before, even though you've walked this route thousands of times before. And you notice things up above, and you notice um, faces and textures and colours, and the quality of the space outside and inside begins to shift. You may just give thanks for three things when you stop at a red light when you're driving. Or as happened to me this morning when the train was delayed, you may refuse the lure of your phone and instead just stand and breathe for the five minutes that the train is being delayed and notice what you notice. All sorts of opportunities for those of us who say, I just don't have time for this sort of stuff. So mindfulness can be really, really helpful and has many benefits, from decreasing stress to increasing creativity and emotional resilience and empathy, and, uh, and its benefits have been well documented. But I, the danger is, I think, that we can end up just seeing it as uh, just another tool to keep us calm within the frazzling and unsustainable lifestyle that otherwise we have absolutely no intention of changing. Little pill to help us keep going. Worse still, if we're sent to a mindfulness course by a boss who wants to, us to learn to kind of stay calm as we conquer the world on their behalf. It's not good, is it? The psychologist Bill Plotkin says that we should beware of using any techniques like that that actually just help us to become better adapted cogs in the otherwise toxic machinery of life. Nice metaphor, that. I don't want to be a better adapted cog. I'm not sure about you. Um, most helpfully, mindfulness helps to quieten that incessant chatter of our anxious minds. But as a Christian, I believe, of course, that we are so much more than minds alone. And I think that when we, when we enter stillness like that, just as sometimes when we behold a rainbow or stand at a graveside, what happens is that we are taken to a tantalizing threshold, which is for me the threshold of soul, where the mind is just willing to relinquish its grip on the control panels of our life and perhaps for a change let soul take the lead and that's for me where it gets really really exciting I don't mind my children looking back on my life when I'm dead and gone and saying he was a really mindful dad that would be quite an accolade in this sort of social media age but it does leave me as, as uh, Elizabeth said a little bit cold I'd much rather they were able to say he lived a soulful life. He lived a soulful life. Think of the word soul for a moment, and I wonder what you picture. Soul or soulful music? A soulful cafe? Soulful meal with friends? Or, or a gallery that inspires? Soulful stretch of countryside? We might like to imagine something or someone or somewhere soulful that you have just literally encountered recently, or your soul stirred. What was it about that place or that person that somehow touched you, inspired you, connected you with the more? It's often almost completely impossible to say, isn't it, what it is and what makes something soulful. And the nature of soul defies description and definition and deconstruction, really, doesn't it? But the first mention of the word soul in the King James Version of the Bible just gives me a, a, a little poetic clue. So in Genesis 2, verse 7, we read that God formed a man from the dust and breathed life into him, and he became a living soul. This is the Hebrew word nefesh, 
which means several things at once, as most Hebrew words usually do, but which scholars seem to agree has an overarching sense of wholeness or the whole. So in this verse, God takes two good things, two good things, dust, matter, and spirit. Often those are kind of set in tension when we think about spirituality, aren't we? Spirit equals good, flesh equals bad. But he takes these two things and creates something that is a whole, that is greater than the sum of the parts. And that whole is the living soul. And that, for me, helps to explain why soul relentlessly connects us with that something that is greater than the sum of the parts of our life, with the more. And in my book, I explore three uh, areas in particular where I believe soul does that. First of all, by opening us up to the more of who we are individually, Secondly, by opening us up to the the depth and quality of relationships that we can nurture. And third, by opening us up to the more of our life's work. And I'd like to touch briefly on those three areas now. So first then, soul is the more of who we were created to be, individually and uniquely, trailing clouds of glory as we remembered from God who is our home. It's easy for us as believers to often be sort of so self-deprecating it's kind of almost, it hurts, but if, if we are image bearers of God then let us take ourselves seriously in a sort of non-ego driven way, in a soulful way. We each have a unique fingerprint and we each have a unique way of touching the world. We each have, I believe, a unique retina and we all have unique ways of seeing the world and expressing the world. Bill Plotkin again says that the soul calls to us from our subterranean depths, pushing up like a flower that grows up through a crack in the concrete paving of our life. Thank goodness it does keep calling. I wonder, how have you paved over your soulful, made in the image of God's self, through lifestyle or through attachments or through busyness or whatever it is? How have you paved over your soulful self? What are the flowers that you sometimes glimpse on the pavement? And when was the last time you truly met yourself? You might like to, as an exercise, go looking for flowers that are growing through the cracks of the pavement and just stand there for a while and allow it to speak to you. At a soul level, you don't need to put words to it. Just prayerfully stand there and allow it to speak of your own uniqueness that often gets covered over for all sorts of different reasons. The Hebrew word hineni means here I am. And it, it features, features with many of the, 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 the great biblical characters. So when God calls Abraham um, before he's about to ask him to sacrifice Isaac, he says, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham replies, hineni, here I am. As Moses turns aside and sees the bush on fire. He hears a voice calling from the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, Hineni, here I am. The boy Samuel in the temple hears a voice in the night and thinks it's Eli, comes to Eli and says, Hineni, here I am. Isaiah, his God saying, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, Hineni, here I am, send me. And I really love those three words, here I am. And if you want to do anything that might help you just to um, experience more of who you are prayerfully in the present, before then presenting your whole vulnerable self to God, you may just 
Imagine for a few moments God calling your name. You may even like to just speak that out loud a few times over and over in a, in a, in a room with the door closed. <laughs> you can do it on the top of the bus if you want. And then respond, here I am. And speak that over a few times, a few minutes, for as long as you like. First of all, presenting yourself. Here I am. Here I am. And then presenting yourself in vulnerability and poise to God. Beautiful thing to do. Hineni is powerful, of course, because... With that, we acknowledge our relationship with God, don't we? And I suppose with, with mindfulness, sometimes we don't always um, do that. We don't always acknowledge that relationship that we have with God. I am here, and in being here, I'm present to the more of God's presence. Sometimes at Christian gatherings, we sort of say, wow, that was an amazing meeting. God really showed up today. I think it's our responsibility to be showing up to God's presence, to God's presence, the more of God in a deep way. So second, soul connects us with the more of how we relate to God as well as to each other and to ourselves and to the world around us, in particular to nature and God's creation, I would say. I wonder how we typically tend to relate to the world around us. Rowan Williams, I think it was, said that at our best, we're not consumers of this world, even though most of us act like it most of the time. We're not consumers of this world. We are in communion with it. It's a subtle but huge difference. I always say to the people who come on my retreats, I was leading one yesterday, an autumn-themed retreat, try not to see this as a consumerist event. Try instead to be in communion with the day, with the season, with God, with yourself, with others. We have the wonderful opportunity every single day through who we meet, through being mindful to God's presence, and through reconnecting with nature to turn things around. No longer relating ego to ego, looking for what we can get out of an encounter or a relationship, but soul to soul as deep calls unto deep. You think again about some of those rare souls who just are so connected and present and alive and assured. What difference their presence makes when you come into their presence, just through who they are, not so much through what they do, just through who you are, they are. You tend to expand and feel inspired and grow. It's a marvellous opportunity. <laughs> the poet and priest and philosopher and maverick John O'Donoghue speaks of God as our soul friend. He wrote a wonderful book, Anamkara, that I'm sure many of you will have read, and that is Gaelic for soul friend. And he reminds us that instead of living life defensively in that brace position, we can discover a soul friendship at the heart of all of life. I wonder what difference that would make to the way we lived one day if we approached it from the perspective of um, nurturing a soul friendship with all of life. And this does extend, by the way, to God's creation and, and to nature. As Elizabeth said, we, 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 we ran a couple of lovely spring-themed uh, uh, walking retreats from St. St. Paul's, or to St. Paul's, um, uh, this year. And along the way we, we connected with God's creation coming down Green Park and St James's Park and seeing trees and water and connected with God through God's creation through poetry and stillness through watching through being through breathing and we remembered as we went that we are indeed part of the beauty that we see around us we are part of God's created beauty a part of the scene. So we did simple things like breathing and standing beneath trees and we, 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 we stood on the bridge and just watched the river flowing away and just asked for help, letting things go gently and then we turned to face the river coming towards us and we asked for God's help in 
for the days and weeks to come, that whatever the river of life brought to us, that we could exhibit God's love and presence and mercy within it and be present to that instead of seeking constant escape from it. And you could do worse than borrow Keats's sublime Ode to Autumn, this season as a starting point to do your own seasonal walk. Get out into creation. See yourself as part of the beauty. Appreciate the way fruit ripens to the core. The way the acorn must crack and the leaves must fall. Let nature speak to you. Let your mind be calmed and your soul be stirred. Notice what uh, this most profound of seasonal moments can teach us, what Brian McLaren so poetically calls the autumn blaze of colour between green and gone. Notice it, connect with it again. So soul connects us to ourself, it opens up the depth and quality of relationships that we can have with um, the world around us, and finally, Soul is incarnated, it's fleshed out through our life's work, I believe, whether that's paid or unpaid. (laughs) While so much spirituality is all about escape, soul, let's remember, is found within that wonderful fusion of spirit and matter. So it's earthed in the here and now, and we follow Jesus who didn't show us an escape route out of this rotten world, as if we were wafting away on a plume of spiritual incense, but a way back in, a practical flesh and blood way back in to embrace it in love. Um, The the poet and artist Cal Hill Gilbrand says that work is love made visible, which I love. Work is love made visible. It doesn't have to be about massaging the ego, as so often our careers end up being. Instead, it can be about manifesting the soul. I wonder how you touch the world in love through your life's work in only the way that you can. The filmmaker Robert Bresson once uh, said, make visible that which you, without you might perhaps never be seen. Make visible that which without you might perhaps never be seen. And here's the wonderful thing about incarnation. While soul speaks most evocatively of our heights and breadths and depths, nevertheless, it's fleshed out simply and movingly within the physicality of the everyday in the meal that you share with others, or or gathering around a crackling fire in November outside looking at the stars, or playing music that you've written in a local pub, or in a long-awaited embrace of reconciliation, the physicality of that, or in unexpected tears. Soulfulness, after all, is no three-point plan for the perfect life. It tends, I think, to follow the path of descent, like Jesus, or like the autumn acorn, which must fall to the ground to have any chance of becoming that mighty oak. We may obsess about polishing the shiny surface of our life, but it's usually through the cracks that the light flows in and the life pours out. And I don't know about you, but I've found uh, so very often that it's the people who have experienced times of, of loss, often tragedy, and who, having faced into them, have begun gently to move through them. It's often those who seem to have a real deep sense of soul coursing through their life and a connection to the more. People like my friends, um, Howard and Jan, who lost a, a child when they were young and, and, and who walked with a limp, undoubtedly. 
but who, who just bring a warmth and a degree of connection to the world around them through their work, through their life, that is inspiring. Or my friend Linda, who was made redundant from a decent-sized job fairly recently, or a couple of years ago, um, with an NGO who was doing great things to alleviate poverty in the world. And instead of going out to get another job and match it like for like, which is what her ego wanted her to do, instead... She paused and she listened to the nudge of soul and did what she had always most deeply loved, which was baking. And she started with cupcakes and she started selling them. And in the end, she opened up a beautiful little cafe space where she welcomes in mums and toddlers and the unemployed, all sorts of different people who gather and talk and share wisdom and buy coffee and eat cake. Beautiful soul space. She said, I've come to see that there are different ways of changing the world. Instead of doing what I felt I ought to do, I followed my gut, my passion, my soul, I guess. It's not always been easy, of course, but I feel a sense of everything I've done in my life so far leading me to this point and of being where I was meant to be. The writer Christian, Christine Kane puts it like this. Sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried but you've actually been planted. <laughs> and I, I think of Jesus and the physicality and the soulfulness of Jesus. And we remember the Last Supper, which despite the deepness of its pain, was surely, truly soulful. A meal with friends in which Jesus washes feet, breaks bread, shares wine, Spiritual, yet physical, and it creates something, of course, immeasurably more than the sum, and it's something we can still participate in today. Breaking bread, sharing wine, having fellowship. And how about the resurrection? When Jesus prepares, after the resurrection, sorry, when Jesus prepares a charcoal fire with his own nail-scarred hands and cooks fish for his friends on a beach, at sunrise. Imagine the smell, the taste, the moment. Exquisitely, those followers sample the taste of both fish and forgiveness. And for Peter, of course, his soul is restored. Perhaps one of the most soulful moments um, in the biblical sweep of the biblical narrative. Jesus once said, what does it profit anyone to gain the whole world but to lose their soul? But I wonder, what if this world was never ours to gain anyway? But instead a place in which we could help each other to reconnect as deep calls unto deep, and as soul calls to soul. Getting a divine taste or foretaste of the soulful flavours of the kingdom of God, of fish, of forgiveness, and so much more of the more. Because there must be more to life than this, mustn't there? I'd love to end with just one sentence from good old John O'Donoghue, who uh, I met over breakfast uh, uh, once when I was interviewing him for the Church Times. And um, he said to me this, we were talking about the busyness of the world and uh, the fact that we don't often have time to stop and overhear what's going on inside as well as overhear God or anything else. And he very quickly got onto soul. He just oozed it. And uh, he said this to me, just leant forward, and he said, whispered almost in a conspiratorial tone, in a beautiful Irish accent, which I won't try now. He said, soul is a dangerous thing to have. It links you into the infinite, whether you like it or not, and it will not let you rest happily in your mediocrity or escapism. May it be so. Thank you.
Um, we've got uh, 15 minutes for some questions, if anybody has any. Oh, straight away. Let me go to the lady there. Um, I wanted to, um, well, I see meditation, mindfulness as a secular form of meditation, but could you explain what you see in this Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Great question, because a lot of people have been saying to me recently, wow, I actually really appreciate mindfulness, and I've got a lot out of it, but I can't make the link between what I'm doing here and then my faith here, and I, 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 I meditate here, and then I pray. And, and so, so, so where, is, where is the link? I mean, I, so I just speak personally. For, for, for me, mindfulness reminds me of some of the, the, the riches of conte contemplative Christian spirituality that have been buried deep for most of... Um, the mainstream church traditions for quite a long time, but which are beginning to actually resurface now, thank goodness, and thanks to the, the, the likes of Father Richard Raw, for instance, the Franciscan priest and author who's writing very eloquently about the soul and ego and meditation and such like, and John O'Donoghue and Cynthia Bourgeois and all sorts of other people. Um, for me personally, um, it, it, it reminds me that I... I can be still and know that God is God. And things like simple breathing techniques um, help me into that, help me through into that place where I can be still um, in an easier way. Most people, most Christians that I speak to will say, oh, I like the idea of stillness, but I never do it because I can't, I, it's just so distracting, I can't do it. I mean, other people can do it, I can't do it. And so I think what, what, mindfulness and meditation, calmly abiding in the present moment through simple, sustainable techniques can help us with is entering that space. I really, I, I really do. Um, I think it does take us to the threshold of soul, just as profound moments of awakening take us to the threshold of the soul. The question then is, what do we do with that? Do we just think, okay, I'm calm now, I'll go back into the craziness? Or do we think, okay, I'm going to push through into kind of this soulful space, space and, 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 and see where to, to next. But, but for me, it takes me to that place. Meditation and mindfulness in particular. Well, I think meditation is something that um, is, is a tool that's used by people practicing mindfulness. It's one way to practice being mindful being awake, so, so the mindful bit is being awake and alive to the present moment, non-judgmentally. Um, and people, the, the, the experts would probably say that you could do that in th two or three main ways. One is through meditation or being calmly abiding in the present moment. Another one is through doing simple practices such as learning to do one thing at a time. The, the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh, um, uh, uh, who wrote the book The Miracle of Mindfulness tells a lovely story at the beginning of it about um, a, a Catholic friend of his comes to stay and they share a meal together and, 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 and the Catholic guy says oh that was lovely, thanks very much, I'll do the washing up and he says no, 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 no I don't want you to he says no, don't be silly, I'd love to, I, I'll do it he says no, no really, I don't want you to and he says why? he says because you don't know how to do the washing up he says, well, what do you mean? Of course I know how to do the washing up. He says, no, you'll do the washing up to get, get it done. I will do the washing up to do the washing up. And again, there's a subtle but significant difference. So practices like that, just being really present to it, would help you to be mindful. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, um, I, can, can you help to distinguish uh, the distinction between soul and spirit? try to distinguish the, the difference between soul and spirit? It's a, it, it's a great question, and, and probably no is the answer to that. <laughs> I, 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 I think when we get to the point of... I mean, you, you may just find a really helpful theologian who could do that for you. I think that we get to the point where we're trying to sort of cut thin air. But, but, but I, I mean with spirit, I mean, in the verse that I, I, I mentioned from Genesis, I like the idea that we are God-breathed. God breathes his spirit into us. But there is something that, for me, of the soulful, that, that is very much embedded in 
the physicality, in the flesh and bloodness, in the incarnational um, trajectory of Christianity. And that's, I think, where, where Christians have, have, have something more to speak of, some, something unique uh, to, 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 to speak of. So soul, for me, in particular, reminds me that I am earthed in the physical, which is enlivened by the spirit, and my spirit is earth in the physical. And so it's something greater than the sum of the parts for me. That's my interpretation of it. But that's not a close, tight theological definition of it. Is that okay? <laughs> okay. I work as a therapist, and a lot of people I work with find it quite hard to go inside themselves and to be still and to even sort of explore their internal world because a lot of the time they can maybe be quite depressed or it's quite scary to do that. Yeah. And I just wondered if you had any ideas about how you might take someone who's trying to sort of do things externally or as some sort of bridge into being able to begin to face their inner world. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. And, and I think the first thing that I would say is, is there, are, there are times when... <laughs> you need to seek professional help, <laughs> and, and, and and you know, and so I I, I tend to work with um, people in a in just quite a gentle introductory way, often outside, um, not in a therapeutic way at all, but in a gen gently kind of awakening way um, uh, to do that. And 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 I I have to say that getting outside is incredibly helpful in. In, in helping people to gently reconnect with the more of who they are. You can't pose for that long to a tree or a river. Um, there is something in the tree and the river that calls to something in you. Um, Gerald May, the um, psychotherapist and, and Christian who died, he died a little while ago, he's written some really nice stuff on this. And he, but from a professional therapeutic perspective, and he says, he says that there is a healing in nature that happens that again goes beyond words. Um, further into that, I would I would be a little bit kind of, you know, hesitant to to, to go too much further into that because certainly for me, if 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 people have deeper issues, then I would, would prefer that they speak to a counsellor. Yes, anxiety, it could actually be very helpful. Yes, I think, I, I, I think it really can be. I think anything from being still, learning to breathe, learning to sit within stillness and within sometimes emptiness really helps us to reconnect and to be fully present. And that is a very, very, very helpful thing. What I find for the majority of people who, for instance, come on a retreat that I lead, small groups and will go out into the countryside, most of those people are um, so busy that they rarely ever stop. Most of the time, I know some people aren't, most of the people are, are going full pelt. So actually stopping is quite a shock because it's easier to keep going. And often, when we stop, the emotions, there are emotions bubbling away just beneath the surface. And often, we will, we will have tears on a retreat, not because I'm trying to whip them up, but just because it's an emotional thing and there's stuff going on beneath the surface. So I had a lady recently who, who, who was provoked to tears by just thinking about Keats's words. Um, where are the songs of spring? I where are they now? Think, think not of them. Thou hast thy music too. And that spoke to her at a very deep level about all sorts of things, and she just burst into tears. And actually, that was a, a really good thing that she did because she worked through some stuff that just may not otherwise have been worked through in the outdoors, kind of in a safe space, but on her own and with God in, in that moment. So. Um, I'm going to come to you in a second, but there's a gentleman over here. Yeah, mindfulness for me it feels like quite an individualistic thing, I suppose, and it's quite like you know a practice of self or whatever. Um, but what does it look like, um, kind of, you know, corporately in the community and stuff? Like how do we bring it into kind of Sunday? 
you know, the, the chairs kind of I suppose it's a big part of the Quakerism, which is Austin Buffett, we see it kind of ruled out in Jewish life. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I mean, two things immediately spring to mind. One is the, the, the second point that I was making about the way soul connects us at a deeper level with each other. So instead of us just skimming the surface of our relationships, or worse, kind of responding ego to ego, like, you know, a, a, a moment of road rage where it suddenly escalates. Instead, deep calling to deep. And, and, it, and, and uh, just practicing that in a... In, in community. Uh, the Danes have this wonderful word, hygge, that, that is all the rage this year, and, and, and it's all about the coziness of the soul, about nights in, about being present within the winter weather and the darkness, but, but transforming and redeeming that and being... Um, but part of that is being with each other without agenda. That's, that's part of the philosophy. And that's really nice. So what, what, what I try to do, we've got a little group who meet around our kitchen table once a month, and, and we, will, we will have a specific reflection. We'll light a candle. We'll have some silence. We may read a poem or, or, or say a prayer or read the Bible. Um, but we, we will bring often homegrown or home-baked food. We will create a soulful environment, and we will seek to be with each other without too much agenda to allow something that's greater than the sum of the parts to, to, to emerge um, there. So I think that, you know, for me, that um, we need to, we need to, I think we really need to think, and we need to think about our spaces within Christian communities. I don't know about you, coming back to that challenge of when was the last time you met someone or went somewhere or experienced something that was truly soulful, when was the last time you experienced that within a, a, a Christian space? Often, it's so packed with words. Where is the art? Where's the poetry? Where's that sense of connection? So I think, you know, just those are two things to, that we can think about. Um, can we go to the gentleman if you, if you still want to have a question? The way to Bob Mantle said is that it's another technique, it's a way of just adding another comment to the system of surviving. Uh, I, I'm actually warned to. But in essence, would you accept that when you enter into the process of meditation practices, trying to live mindfully, that in, in essence, that, that brings about a change uh, within the individual? And what, you're, what you seem to be saying towards the end now is that in order to be able to live through that change, there needs to be some sort of value system, there needs to be some way of sharing some base which you can then draw on as a strength. So picking up on the issue about therapy and so on. To enter into it without that, it just becomes another technique, isn't it? Yes and no, I suppose. I think I think that we would all if if we share a Christian faith, we would say that then 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 there's there's a bigger picture and a bigger story and for the more of the story and the more of who we are, then, then, then ultimately it's about finding our place within that story and, and, and the more of that story. But, but I, yeah, so I agree, I, I agree on that. But it, it, it's not to deny the huge amount of good that has, I think, been done with people beginning to practice stillness and, 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 and attending to their breathing and, and being more, more present. And I think that, so I think that for me, I come with an appreciative um, attitude to something like mindfulness, partly because of the common sense way that people like Professor Mark Williams and John Kabat-Zinn, among two of them, speak so clearly about profound issues, which I think we've lost the art of doing that in the church. It opens, they open up some of the, the treasures of what we, what we might call spiritual treasures, but in a way that people can access. So I think that that's been a really positive thing. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity for us compassionately as Christian believers to, to meet people where they are at in a, in a very challenging culture in which we live and to affirm a lot of what's happened, but also to, with compassion to say, but I also believe that there is more. 
And that's a lovely opportunity, I think. You know, we do stand on the threshold of soul when we, when we enter into stillness. But what does it look like as we cross that threshold? And one of the reasons it's hard to say is because I, I, many times we just, we retreat back into the busyness of, of the ego-driven life. So, so it's taking, for me, taking steps forward into that and exploring the more of who I am and the more of how I relate and the more of the potential of my life's work first and then sharing it with others. So that's a change, isn't it? That's, that's the change that takes place in confidence. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and we are about transformation. And, 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 and we often forget that. So what does it mean to be transformed? And what does that look like? And, uh, and, it's, it's, and that's why I mentioned the path of descent as well. Because there is something about the story of the acorn and the oak tree. And we can get preoccupied with polishing the shiny shell of our life. And there is something about the cracks that, that, that speak of the ego being stood down and, and the soulful life flowing through us. Uh, to become more fully the person that God has created us to be. Um, it's two o'clock. <laughs> and on that beautiful moment, I'm, I'm going to close. Thank you very much to everybody coming, and thank you to Brian. Thank you.